feet, take our Bibles in our hands. Let's make our confession loud and strong. Come on, this is my Bible. It is the Word of God, and I believe it. I will not be conformed to the image of this world. I will be transformed by the renewing of my mind. Today, I'm taking another step toward God's plan, God's purpose, God's destiny for my life, and I will never be the same in Jesus' name. If you believe that, shout amen. And a couple of weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago on Father's Day, we launched a brand new series called Courageous based on the Christian film that hit theaters last fall. Powerful film. I encourage you, if you haven't seen it yet, I strongly urge you to pick up a copy at Walmart Hastings. Get the DVD. It's on, also on Blu-ray. I, encourage, I don't know, you may even be able to get it off of Netflix. I, I'm not sure if, if you can stream it off Netflix yet or not. But it, it's, a, it's an incredible film, and I believe it will be a blessing to you. And as we launched this series, we declared that now is the time to unapologetically and unashamedly pronounce that we're going to take a stand for Christ. Amen? We're going to stand for Christ and, and all He represents. We're going to stand against popular culture. That doesn't mean we're holier than thou. Amen? That doesn't mean we snub our nose at an un- unholy world. How many know sinners sin? Huh? But we're going to refuse to allow the world to squeeze us into its mold like Romans 12.2 declares in the Phillips translation. we got to refuse to allow the world to squeeze us into its own mold. And anything left to its own, how many know, deteriorates. And so we have to stand against the tide of our culture. That doesn't mean we're anti-technology or, or anything like that. I'm talking about the spirit and, and the immorality of our culture that would try to cause us to compromise instead of standing up for what's right. So we want to stand up for Christ. We want to stand against popular culture. And we want to stand strong for our families and their future. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 and 9, it says, Stay alert. Say, stay alert. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And we know he comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. And he uses the things in popular culture many times to do that. So it says stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. And so last week we talked about, so that week we talked about the difference between being a courageous Christian in the midst of a complacent culture. And then last week, we, the second lesson in this series was about how to be a warrior versus a wimp. And listen, when you look at our society and when you look at our culture, and listen, like it or not, media really is a good thermometer of where we're heading. Hmm? And if you look at some of the heroes in some of our movies, we went from John Wayne, huh? We went from uh, uh, the dark dark hair guy. Um, I was going to say Pierce Brothers, but older. Um, 
Help me. Uh, we, we got Sean Connery, um, Clark Gable. Um, oh, I lost the guy. I can't think of it now. It's going to bug me. Well, I'll find it and we'll, we'll, we'll have it. Um, Clint Eastwood, go ahead. Make my day. Huh? We go from that to who are our heroes today? Napoleon Dynamite. Huh? Nacho Libre. <laughs> Pee Wee Herman. Huh? And listen, some of those movies are funny. I've seen them. We have the DVDs, and for a laugh, we'll stick them in. But there was a, there was a culture that it was manly, and you were, oh. And, and now we look at some of our heroes, and so we, we're kind of dealing with this chickification of America. Talk to me, somebody. Huh? And men, we talked about and shared how men by nature are aggressive. But when it comes to standing up for our families and leading our homes, many times we become passive. And so we want to do what it takes to be a warrior. We don't want to be wimps. And so we, we shared some statistics how there are 24 million children throughout America without fathers today. 24 million kids raised in single parent homes throughout America. How come? Because somewhere along the way, dad decided to be a wimp instead of being a warrior. Talk to me, somebody. Huh? Dad decided to throw in the towel, to put down the sword. Dad decided, you know what? I relate more to Napoleon Dynamite than to Clint Eastwood. And we put down our swords and we quit standing and we quit fighting. Huh? And a lot of that is because, you know, we don't know the answers to questions like what are man's responsibilities? What does a man believe? What does a man or a warrior, uh, how, how does a man or a warrior behave? What should a man or a warrior try to achieve? And we saw that in order to do that, you need a vision for manhood, you need a code of conduct, and you need a cause. You need a transcendent cause that is bigger than you. And we begin with a vision for manhood, and we saw or a vision of what it means to be a warrior. And where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained. And we saw how society in the past, we've looked to community to define what it means to be a man. We've, we've looked at the family. And we've even looked at the church, but all three of these institutions many times have fallen short. And so if we're going to find a, a, a definition that, that builds this vision of what it means to be a man, what it means to be a warrior, how many know we got to go to the Word of God? Amen? And we discovered by looking and comparing two men, the first Adam and the second Adam, the Lord Jesus, we see the differences between these two men becomes the working definition and provides the vision of what it means to be a warrior versus a wimp. Amen? 1 Corinthians 15, 47 says, The first man is from the earth, and the second man is from heaven. The first Adam represents life separated from God. By contrast, the second Adam, Christ, represents life in union with God. And so... There are four defining differences between the first Adam and the second Adam. We looked at the first one last week, and we discovered that a real man, a warrior, 
rejects passivity. A real man, or in order to be a warrior versus a wimp, you have to reject passivity. And again, men are by nature, tend to be aggressive, right? But when it comes to the family, many times we follow in the same footsteps as the first Adam instead of the second one. And we looked in Genesis chapter 3 when Eve was tempted by the devil. In verse 6 it says that her husband was right there with her. And so he was with her as she contemplated spiritual suicide. He's right there and he should have rose up. He should have ran the devil out of the garden. He should have taken authority over his home. But instead, he gave in to passivity. And the rest, as they say, is history. And we're in the mess we're in today. Hmm? And so many homes today. That's why we have 24 million kids without dads today. So a real man rejects passivity. Number two. The second principle, the second key to being a real man or a warrior is a real man, the opposite of operating in passivity. A real man accepts responsibility. That's what a real man does. That's what a warrior does. A real man accepts responsibility. And remember, the responsibility that God has given us as men, as warriors, is he has given us a will to obey, a work to do, and a woman to love. Now, Adam failed at all three of those levels. He disobeyed the will of God and basically said, Lord, not your will, my will be done when he ate of the forbidden fruit. He abandoned the work God gave him to do. And now, as a result, his work became harder and required the sweat of his brow to, to produce the same results. And he ended up leaving the woman he was supposed to love without a head, without leadership, without guidance, and without direction. Now, contrast to that, here the second Adam comes. Jesus steps up on the scene, and you know what? He has the same mandate from the Father. He has a will to do. Amen? And in fact, we see when that will is tested, just like Adam in the garden, Jesus, that will is tested in, the garden, in a garden as well, the garden of Gethsemane. But there Jesus passed the test. And he said, Father, not my will. Not my will. He said, Lord, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. But you know what? Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And he fully embraced the will of the Father. And then we saw that he was consumed with the work the Father gave him, which was to seek and to save the lost, to redeem the lost. And Jesus went about doing good, Acts 10, 38, and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. Why? Because he was fully engaged and fully accepted the responsibility that the Father gave him. And then Jesus also had a woman to love, the church, the bride of Christ. Amen? And so in stark contrast, we see this glaring, blazing difference between the first Adam and the second Adam. So Jesus accepted, accepted these responsibilities with great joy. Look at Psalm 40, verse 7 and 8. It says this, prophesying about Jesus. It says, then I said, look, I have come. As is written about me in the scriptures, I take joy 
in doing your will, my God. For your instructions are written on my heart. So, again, what a big contrast between the first Adam who rejected God's will, abandoned God's work, and left the woman he was supposed to love without leadership. In stark contrast, Jesus, he embraced these things on all three counts. He did the opposite. He accepted his responsibility with joy. In fact, in John 4, 34, you remember Jesus was going through Samaria and he was ministering to the woman at the well and the disciples went on ahead of him to get some food and they came back and they, they number one, Jesus was talking to a woman. Number two, he was talking to a Samaritan that took him, caught him off guard and, and they wanted him to eat. They knew it had been a long day and Jesus responded in John four thirty four as he was ministering. He said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. So what we see is Jesus allowed these responsibilities to define his life. This is what he he latched the, the vision and the direction and the purpose of his life. He latched on to those three things. I have a will to obey, I have a work to do, and I have a woman to love. And those three things consumed him and marked him and guided and directed the course of his life. Amen? And when we embrace those things, and ladies, maybe you're sitting here, okay, that's great. But listen, God has given you a will to obey as well, ladies. And God has given you a work to do, whether in the home or outside of the home. And it doesn't just include your vocation. The work that God has given you to do, it also includes what you do in the church. It's what you do in community. It's those gifts. It's those talents. It's those expressions. It's those God expressions of of compassion and love and grace. Whatever it is that God has deposited on the inside of you, that's the work he's given you to do. As a wife, as a mom, as a grandmother, as a mighty woman of God. Amen? You have a work to do. And obviously you don't have a woman to love, but you got a man to love. Amen? And so that's what it takes to be a warrior. Amen? Now, they say, parents, listen. What causes a man? What's the difference? I mean, obviously, we see the difference between the first Adam and second Adam. Obviously, the second Adam, he was the son of God. But what, what, what causes a man to rise up and embrace and fulfill his responsibility to obey his will, to engage in the work God has given him? And to lead the woman he was called to love. What causes a man to do that versus one who doesn't? And there's a couple of practical answers. One is this. Most men assume responsibility and will become warriors when it's clear to them that the primary responsibility for the well-being of others rests on them and that others are relying on them. And so dads, that's something we have to model. Come on, dads. That is something we have to not only model, but we have to teach. We have to instruct them. And that's, that's the second thing is when, when they have been trained from an early age by the men in their lives to recognize and assume that responsibility faithfully, they become warriors. And they begin to lead in that capacity. Amen? And listen, it doesn't matter what your past is. You can have a whole new future. 
And so if you failed at that some way, somehow in the past, you don't need to, you know, wallow in guilt and condemnation. You just need to rise above that and realize, you know what? You still got kids and maybe grandkids who are dependent upon you. Amen? Huh? And you can begin to lead and you can begin to instruct them to embrace God's will. Hmm? To engage in the work that God has caused, called them to. Amen? And, and, and as the saying goes, one of the best things you can do for your kids is, is display, show them, love, love their mom. Hmm? So as parents, we got to train our children to embrace with enthusiasm God's will, the work he's given them to do, and a woman to love. We got to let them know that's what it means to be a man. Amen? That's what defines you as a man is you reject passivity and you accept responsibility in those three things. And when you learn to do that, when you learn to embrace and God's will is more important than your will. When you faithfully carry out the work he's given you to do and when you take leadership of your home and you, take, you begin to grow and develop in your leadership, now you're becoming a man. You're being the warrior God's called you to be. Amen. Number three, a real man leads courageously. Men were designed to lead, not follow. Men were designed to lead, not follow. Now, that doesn't mean they don't follow. That doesn't mean they're not submitted to authority. But you know what? I remember growing up, mama prayed. If my tummy hurt, Mama came in and prayed for my tummy. Talk to me, somebody. I love it. We raised our kids. Shelly, when I, when I was gone, she, uh, she would go in because I'm not there, and she'd pray for our kids, and I loved it. And our kids got so accustomed to me praying for them. When I got home, they're like, hey, tell Dad to come in and pray. And Shelly's like, was my prayer not good enough? Huh? And it was great. But we love that, you know what? We changed the family tree. We, we, we changed the, the dynamic of our home instead of relying on the woman to be the spiritual leader and to carry the weight and the burden of that. We shifted that as it should be. Amen? Huh? And that doesn't mean, mom, you don't teach your kids scriptures and you don't pray for them. I understand that. But if you think about some of the testimonies of how people's lives are turned around, what do they say? Man, I had a praying mama. I had a praying grandma. What about praying dad and praying grandpa? What happened to that? Talk to me, somebody. Hmm? And so sometimes we, 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 we delegate the spiritual stuff or because by default we don't do it, mom has to, ride to the, rise to the occasion and lead in that realm because you refuse to. And so 1 Corinthians, Corinthians 11 verse 3 in the Amplified says, I want you to know and realize that Christ is the head of every man. And the head of a woman is her husband. And the head of Christ is God. So men, we're created to lead. And the sad thing is, is Adam, see, he relinquished that leadership in the garden when he refused to step forward with God's word and lead his wife. He refused to do that and he relinquished his authority. And that inaction is what... Many men are following in the same footsteps and doing the same thing in their home, which is why we have 24 million kids without a dad. 
So leadership demands that men have the courage. we got to master our passions and bridle ourselves with the principle of of truth. Look at uh, Matthew chapter 4, and we see Jesus doing this. Look at this. Watch this. Talk about a warrior. Matthew chapter 4. It's not up on the screen. Open your Bible and turn there. Still with me? So we got to lead. we got to lead courageously. Look at this. Matthew chapter 4. Verse 1, it says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. How many know that the first level of attack by the enemy is to question your identity in Christ? Come on, talk to me, somebody. If you are the Son of God, if you're an overcomer, if you're healed, if you're really saved, then how come you're still doing this? How come you said that? Huh? He comes to question and he comes to place doubt on your identity on who you are in Christ. That's why one of the confessions we make is, I'm accepted in the beloved. I'm blessed to be a blessing. I'm a chosen generation. I'm destined to reign in Christ. I'm empowered to make a difference. And I'm forgiven of all my sins. What are we doing? We're establishing your identity and who you are in him. huh? And so the enemy comes and questions that. If you are the son of God... Command that these stones become bread. But Jesus answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. Notice the devil can quote the Bible. Did you notice that? said, did you notice that? Notice that the devil can quote. Now, he takes it out of the context and he twists it. And he corrupts and perverts its meaning. But he can, he can read it. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you. And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again. The devil took him up. Now, how many? Now, notice it says, and again. So, notice that the battle is relentless. Talk to me, somebody. There's never going to come a point in your life where you kick back and drink lemonade at the beach indefinitely. Sorry. Well, there will come a day. That's called heaven. (laughs) But as long as we're on that planet, on this planet, huh? then there's a battle to engage in. Uh, And we have a relentless enemy who roams around as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And so that's why we put the word of God in our heart. That's why Angie's new series on Wednesday, I Love My Bible with the Kids. What are we doing? We're teaching them at a young age as kids. Put the word of God in your heart. Why? Because when the enemy comes, you're going to be able to do what Jesus did. It is is written. God has not given me a spirit of fear, but a spirit of love, power, and a sound mind. Mom, turn the light off, and I don't need the nightlight. Huh? Come on, talk to me, somebody. Huh? We want to put the word of God on the inside of them so it comes out. Huh? And so this battle is relentless. And so, and again, the enemy's still coming. Now watch. 
And again, it goes back to what Pastor Shelley was hitting on. It goes, really comes back to this endurance factor, doesn't it? And listen, I know we all get tired of fighting. I know sometimes we just, man, our arm gets war-weary from swinging that thing. But you know what? Man, that's why you need a band of brothers. That's why you need to stay in fellowship. That's why you need to stay engaged so people can hold up your arms and stand in the gap so you can get a breath and then go back to fighting. Hmm? Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus, I love this. Then Jesus said to him. Do you see that? What did he say? What did he say? Away with you. One translation says, he said, Satan, be gone. Away with you. The very thing the first Adam should have done in the garden. When that serpent appeared. That's when Adam, the first one, should have took his stand. Rejected passivity. Accepted his responsibility. And lead courageously by saying, Satan, away with you. Be gone. Hmm? And he failed and he gave in to that passivity. But Jesus picks up the mantle and shows us the way. And now he lives in our lives and he wants to live and and help us embrace this will to obey, work to do, and woman to love by operating in these principles. And he says, Satan, away with you. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Watch, verse 11. Then the devil left him. Now another translation says, the devil left him until a more opportune time. So the devil left, all right, but it wasn't permanent. He just came back later. But I want you to know Jesus got his victory. And he got his victory the same way we get our victory, by standing on the word of God and saying, it is written. Hmm? Then the devil left him and it says, behold, angels came. And ministered to him. So guys, listen. James 4, 7 says, If we submit to God and resist the devil, he will flee from you. Submit to God. Resist the devil. How do we resist the devil? By standing on the word of God. It is written. How do you resist sickness? By his stripes. I am healed. How do you resist poverty? My God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. How do you resist divorce? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. How do you resist passivity in your parenting? Fathers, don't provoke your kids to anger. Rather, bring them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Amen? And you take your stand on God's word and you submit to God. You resist the devil. And you know what? He will flee from you. Not only did he flee from Christ, he will flee from you. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Amen? Now, very quickly, because I just want you to see this pattern. How many know that if we're going to defeat our enemy, we need to understand his method of operation? All right? And the Bible says in Ecclesiastes that there is nothing new under the sun. All right? And you got to realize, too, that the devil, he's not a creator. He's an imitator. The devil is not a creator. He's an imitator. 
Hmm? Remember, and, and even that he's not that good at. Remember, he tried to imitate God. Huh? I'm going to be like God. Well, no, you're not. Hmm? And so the devil can't create. God is the creator. See, the devil is the destroyer. Hmm? And so there's nothing new. And so I know with all the stuff on the internet and all the stuff we got going on in our world, and many times, you know, I believe part of the reason we're just consumed with, with how horrible the world is is, number one, we, we live in the information age. Horrible things were going on for a long time. We just didn't know. Hmm? But you need to realize, I don't care how dark it gets, the enemy has still been defeated. Okay, And he's still, he's not a creator. He's still limited and operates only on three planes. And if you look at 1 John 2, verse 15, and we've shared this before, but I want to pull out some things here and help you understand some things. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. It says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, say all, all that is in the world is, and there's three things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Will you say that? So all that's in the world is what? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the, and the pride of. So you got lust of the, lust of the, and the pride of life. So you got lust of the flesh, lust of the, and the. Pride of life. Those three things, that is all that is in the world. All. That's all. Say that's all. Okay, remember Porky Pig at the end of the cartoons? That's all, folks. That's when cartoons were holy. Right? You didn't get any holier than Porky Pig. Right? Especially if you put bacon on him and eat him. Oh, he is bacon, huh? And the, these things, is, uh, the, all that's in the world, these things, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Now, go back to Genesis chapter 3. Stay in Matthew 4. Go back to Genesis 3. And as you go to Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, again, all that is in the world is what? Lust of the flesh, lust of the and the Okay, now watch. That's all that's in the world. We're going to go back to the beginning of creation. The very first temptation. The devil appears on the scene and watch. He lies to the woman in verse 5 and says, God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now watch, verse 6. So when the woman, what? Saw that the tree was good for food. What would that fall under? What category? The lust of her flesh. Her flesh. She saw that it was good for food. This food would feed her flesh. Okay? So she saw it was good for food and that it was what? Pleasant to the eyes. That's what? That's the lust of the eyes. And a tree desirable to make one wise. I'll be like God. What was that? Pride of life. That's all you see. That's all that is in the world. Okay? Go to Matthew 4. You still with me? Go to Matthew chapter 4. 
Matthew chapter 4, verse 3. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. What's the temptation? What category? Lust of his flesh, just like Eve with the fruit, right? When it looked, she saw that the tree was good for food, turn these stones into bread. Lust of the flesh, okay? Go on to verse 5. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, sent him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you're the son of God, hey, take advantage of this privilege. Take, take advantage of this position as the son of God and just throw yourself down. Because the Bible says, you know, if you do it, the angels will come unless you dash your foot against a stone. What's the temptation? Help me. Pride of life. Okay? Different order, but it's the pride of life. Yeah, take pride in your position as the Son of God and, 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 and use it to its fullest capacity. Okay? Now look at the next one. Again, the devil took him, verse 8, up on an exceedingly high mountain and what? Showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory and said, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Lust of the eyes. Do you see that? So all that is in the world is the lust of the flesh, Lust of the eyes and the pride of life. And you know what? That's all that's in the world. And the Bible says that greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. So the Jesus in me, obviously the same Jesus that overcome the lust of the flesh, lust of his eyes and the boastful pride of life. If he lives on the inside of me, then the greater one lives on the inside of me and I can overcome that stuff too. And I can lead courageously because if you're going to lead courageously as a man and in your home, you're going to have to deal with those three dictates in your life. You're going to have to overcome and reel in the dictates of your flesh. Amen? You're going to have to guard what you put in front of your eyes and what goes into your ears. Amen? You're going to have to deal with the pride of life, the things that would cause you to give up everything and and to sacrifice your family in the name of success because you're full of pride and you got to keep up with the Joneses and you got to keep up pretense or whatever it is. Amen? And so if you're going to be a man, if you're going to be a warrior, you're going to have to lead courageously in, in overcoming those things and raising and training your kids and how to deal with those things as well. Number four, and we'll close with this. So a real man, a warrior, he rejects passivity. He accepts responsibility. He leads courageously. And listen, a real man, a warrior, he expects the greater reward. How many know that being a warrior, being a real man, it's challenging? If it wasn't challenging, then we wouldn't have 24 million kids without a dad. So it is challenging, obviously. But as challenging as it is, being a father, being a warrior, was not meant to be this unbearable burden that snuffs the life out of you. It was made to be something, yes, we bear and we carry, but we fulfill with joy. Amen? And you know, at the end of the day, that's what enabled Jesus to embrace and fulfill the will of the Father. 
complete the work God gave him to do and be committed to the woman, the church, the bride of Christ that God gave him to love was because of the joy that was set before him. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 and 2 says, Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So what kept Jesus in the race? What kept him engaged? What enabled him? What empowered him to say, not my will, but your will be done? I've come to do and complete the work you've given me to do. What enabled him to, 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 to fulfill the will and the work and stay engaged in leading the woman, the church, that the Father gave him to love. It was because of the joy that was set before him. He saw the greater reward. And guys, we have to embrace that. We have to see the legacy we're going to leave when we step up to the plate and we lead courageously. Amen? We have to get a vision of of that reward and what that looks like. And when we're ready to throw in the towel and we think it's not worth it, we got to go back and we got to be like Jesus and for the joy set before us, endure whatever it is we're going through. And you know what? Moses lived the same way. Moses got a hold of this and did the same thing. If you look back a chapter in Hebrews 11, verse 24, it says, By faith Moses, when he became of age, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. How come he did that? How come he was able to do that? Because he looked to the reward. He looked to the reward. And so, guys, we got to see the reward. we got to see the reward that, you know what? We're raising up a generation that is changing the direction of our nation. We're raising up a generation that they're doing that and they're going to pass that on to their kids and they're going to pass that on to the grandkids and they're going to pass that on to the great-grandkids. How come? Because we taught them and we modeled before them and we instructed them in embracing a will to obey, a work to do, and a woman to love. So a warrior rejects passivity, accepts responsibility, leads courageously, and looks to the reward. Amen? Did you learn something today? Every head bowed and every eye closed. Listen, I want to pray for you.